Well, we're looking at 1 Corinthians 15, and we've uh, been looking at a couple of the verses. Last week we looked at 1 and 2, and today we're looking at 3 and 4. I'm going to read those verses for us as we get into the Word of the Lord. Verse 3, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And verse 5, And that he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. You know, when it comes to some things, such as sports, when I was a kid growing up, I loved sports. I loved playing all kinds of different sports, listening to it, you know, starting in the first grade, playing t-ball and baseball and basketball and football and tried to play golf. Yeah, I'm really not very good at that, but, uh, you know, you play all these things. But, you know, one of the things that happened in my teams is we never finished first. I'd say it's not due to me, but I probably had part to do it. We, I wasn't able to say, oh, we got the trophy, number one, back. Okay, back, for those of you a little younger, back in days gone by, if you, you didn't get a trophy unless you finished first place. And so I always wanted to get a trophy. I wanted to say that. And it was through 12 seasons, not years, but seasons of the different sport, we had, my team had never finished first place. Well, finally, when I was in sixth grade, our baseball team, we took first place, and I got a trophy. And I was able to say, we're number one, you know, for our team in our league. It was a big deal to that. Now, here at Bethel Covenant, you've had a lot of success. You look at the trophy case, and you see all those softball trophies, through the years, there's, a, there's been a lot of success. And you can see some of the people here were looked a little younger a few years ago in those pictures. <laughs> but to be able to say we're the best, we're number one, to be better than others, to be on top, to make that claim. There's other ways you can say. First place in the Olympics, how about that? Get that gold medal. Win a fishing contest. Or what else? Maybe your first chair in the orchestra or the band. You win a blue ribbon at the state fair. You had the highest score on an important task to be first. It's always an exciting thing that happens when you're number one. Well, the Apostle Paul here in these verses is thinking of what's most important. Maybe in a sense, first, first yes, not in first place, maybe quite like this, but as first importance. What is first in the important things of life? And he's talking about Jesus' death and resurrection as first, primary, most important, number one, uno, et, whatever, you, whatever language you want to say. It's first and most important, the work of Jesus Christ. That's what's number one. What's number one in your life? What's most important to you? The resurrection of Jesus Christ is what Paul says is to be of central, of primary value in your life and mine. Jesus' death and resurrection was not okay news. It wasn't nice news. It wasn't some, you know, decent news. This was good news of great joy. This is the most important news anyone has ever heard. This is not to be just played in front of a small audience. This is to be shouted out and made known to everyone that Jesus, who died, came back to life and it's living forevermore. And this is to be most important in your life and mine. For Jesus had gone from the worst fate, death, abandonment. Think of Jesus, abandoned by his followers, all alone on the cross. But then what did God do? He raised, them to, raised him to be firstborn of all from the resurrection of life 
to come. Jesus went from first, from worst to first, and praise God, this changes us because he lives forevermore and promise that we can too as we trust in him. We see this in Revelation chapter 4, the elders and the leaders around the throne praising God, celebrating the Father, the Son, and, and the Spirit, and worshiping them, of saying, you are almighty, you are most important, you are Lord, and overall, and falling down in front of them. In other words, this resurrection is of first importance. And praise God, no war, no financial hardships, no troubles, no health difficulties, relationship struggles can take that away from us. The resurrection and its first importance. And Jesus' death, and praise God, his resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ for you and me. Let's look at a couple things. It's first of all, it's transformational for us. The death and resurrection of Jesus are chief to Paul, as we've said, meaning they're the highest importance for him. For there's nothing about Jesus that is more important and crucial to his life and future among us. The death and resurrection of Jesus are at the center of why he entered into our world and why he came into our fallen existence, stepping out of the eternal state in heaven and coming to live among us, taking on flesh so that he could die, bear our sins as we sang in that song, and to appease the, the wrath of God so we could have peace with, with him. Into, this, into our world, Jesus comes. And Paul knows how utterly essential this work is. Think of, it, think of Paul. What does he say? For what I received, verse 3, I passed on to you of first importance, the highest importance. Consider Paul himself in his own personal experience. Who was Paul but before he was Paul, he was Saul, a Jewish zealot, someone who was really on fire for the Jewish traditions. And he persecuted the very church of Christ, of the followers of Jesus who believed in his death and resurrection. We find in Acts chapter 9, we have Jesus encountering Saul, who later became Paul, on the road to Damascus. And in this encounter, we find him saying, We've seen Saul fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Here's Paul on the road to Damascus to, to uh, imprison and to jail followers of Jesus Christ, Jews who had followed Jesus, and that was his thing. He was zealous, and as he's received paper from the high priest, the most important of the Jews, to give him and drag off followers of Jesus and put them in prison. And Paul has this encounter. Jesus appears to him on this road and says, you're making a mistake. You're making a mistake. I am God who entered this world, putting on flesh, who died and rose again. Who are you, Lord? Paul knows that this, this one he's seen is God Almighty. For Lord is that name of Yahweh, the God from we see revealed in Exodus to Moses, Yahweh, the name of the Lord. And he says, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Yahweh? Who are you, God? And he hears, I am Jesus. Now think what that must do to Paul. He's persecuting Jesus, and now he discovers that Jesus is truly God, sent from the Father who entered into this world. And what happened? This truth, this reality changes everything. It transforms his life. The death and resurrection changes him. As he encounters Jesus, his life was changed. He was never the same. And what happens to, to him? Within 
literally days, all of a sudden, the one who was going to Damascus to imprison followers of Jesus is now preaching in those very places that Jesus is Lord. Is that not a transformation? Think of the worst and the biggest enemy of the church of Christ. Think of Chi and China and how he abuses Christians and takes advantage of them, imprisons them, and destroys churches. And if churches are left, he takes down the cross and puts up a picture of himself. That's what he does. Just think if tomorrow he went to a church and started proclaiming Jesus as Lord. The world would be stunned, would be shocked, but this is what happened to Paul. Paul is proclaiming Christ because he encountered Jesus and saw that Jesus, who died, had risen from the dead. And it became apparent to him that Jesus truly was the Lord God. And so his life was transformed by the radically changed. And he says this is most important. It transformed him. Paul experienced the resurrection, resurrected Christ, and his life was changed. In fact, Saul grew more and more powerful, baffling the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. He was so effective that they decided the only way to deal with him is kill him. That's you know when you're being effective. They can't do anything. They can't come against you with logic or speaking. They have to just try to get rid of you, which is still the, uh, the way that people uh, go after followers of Jesus Christ today. All because Paul encountered the resurrected Jesus Christ. You know, when Paul saw that, he didn't ask the question of, hmm, how is this going to affect my family relationships? What will it mean for my name in the community? How is this going to affect my support system? Because I'm being supported by the Jews in Jerusalem. How will it affect my retirement? Did his rising ranks and the stars in the ranks of the Jews will be lost and gone forever? Paul, if we really considered, had an awful lot humanly in this world to lose by accepting Jesus as the Christ. But Paul didn't waste time for a second. He saw it was true, and he embraced it, and he was transformed. He goes to the city, gets instructions, and Paul starts proclaiming Jesus Christ. The resurrection couldn't have a more powerful effect on him. It was totally transforming. Has a resurrected life. Here's what he was. He was a persecutor before he understood the gospel, and he was persecuted afterwards. He protested against, he proclaimed it afterwards. He was a punisher of Christians, and then he became a preacher. He was an enemy of God, now he's a friend of of God through Christ. He fought against, now he fights for. He was blinded, he received his sight. He knew about God, now he knows God. He was lost and he was saved. All of this changed. This is what happens when we encounter Christ. You may not, people may not be as far uh, in opposition as Paul was, but here's what what we become when we encounter Jesus Christ. It's transformational. Has the resurrected life transformed you? As Saul was changed into Paul, that transformation totally transformed. Have you, has it transformed and changed your life? Is it shaping your life? Is it transforming your life so that we conform to the image of what God is calling us to do because Jesus died and, praise God, rose again? Well, secondly, it's also indispensable. Paul isn't content with knowing from himself alone the crucial nature of of the death and resurrection of Jesus. He realizes that this is for all people. He realizes this is of chief importance. It's prime. It's necessary. 
What did he say? For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. It's a first importance. It's transformational. But it's also, I'm passing it on to you. I'm passing forth because this is news. This is that good news that needs to be stated, that needs to be proclaimed. I can't just keep it to myself. This is indispensable for you and for me. For it's for all people, praise be to God, that this news of Jesus' death and resurrection is for all people, all languages, nations, tribes, and tongues. So Paul passes it on. He passes it on because he knows it's of first importance. Not of good value, but of immense worth. It's first in importance, first in order and place, upon which everything else in life depends. We could say that this message is what everything depends. Example, if you go to your front door and can enter your front door, how do you open your front door? Do you take the door and pick it off its, where it is and push it like this and put it down here and then walk through and then grab it and put it back? Do you do that? No, it, it's on hinges, right? And so we open the door, we walk in, and we close it because it rests on those hinges. If you didn't have hinges on your front door, it would be a lot harder and more work to get in and out, wouldn't it? That death and resurrection of Jesus are the hinges of our faith upon which everything rests, all the weights on it. It's the necessary, it's that which makes everything else possible, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why we say it's indispensable, because it's part of the God's power for you and for me. All human history points to, or looks back towards the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, where the resurrection of, is the proof and declaration of God's victory, God achieved victory in Jesus' death. The resurrection is the proof, the display of that victory. So it's in the death and resurrection of Christ we have that. Maybe another illustration. This thing that changed Paul. In your family, you know, let's say, let's think back to when you were a child. You know, a child, part of a family with mothers and fathers. Let's say you're eight years old. You came home from school one day. And there were a couple other kids that you've never seen before sitting around the table. And they were having a snack after school. And you come in and say, hi. And mom says, uh, there's no snack for you here. You're going, well, what's going on here? What, what's happening? And then you hear, well, we're going off to the park. You go and do your homework. And so those kids go off with mom to the park. And you're thinking, I don't know, what world have I just entered into? And then you get home. And then they make supper, and you have to, there's, no, there's no supper for you. You have to scrounge around and find something else. You can't participate with the rest of the family. And then when it comes to bedtime, you find out that the kids had put their stuff in your room, and your room's gone, and mom tells you, you have to sleep downstairs on the old stinky couch. And this isn't just one day. This is ongoing. We look at it and say, okay, something's wrong here. Mom and dad are not treating their own child as of something of first importance to them. These others come in, and all of a sudden they're elevated. They're not equal to, but they're put above. And we say, there's something wrong with that. There's something wrong with where guests or neighbors come in and become more important than their own kids in the household. And if that were to happen, you realize something is wrong. You're, what's wrong is parents are no longer treating their own child as having first importance. But visitors or neighbors or someone who stops by becomes more important. And we look at that and we say, that's just not right. 
That's not right. We can see that something's wrong. Well, if you and I don't hold to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as of first importance in our life, then that's worse than treating your own children with little concern. If we don't hold the death and resurrection of Jesus as of first importance, of primary importance, it's like treating our own children as unimportant to us. The death and resurrection of Christ need to be of primary importance in our life. Otherwise, it's a travesty of God's grace, the God who gave his life for you and me. The resurrection is indispensable for our lives. It's of first importance because Christ died for our sins, was buried, was raised on the third day, all according to the scriptures. This is of ultimate importance for us, in which we have hope, a future, salvation, reconciliation with God, peace in our life. There are great events in life. Marriage, as we talked about today, that's a great event in life. Maybe you got the job that you were hoping for and was offered to you. The doctor telling a married couple, you're going to have a baby. You're successful in the pursuit of a dream of what you're trying to accomplish. You get a call, there was an accident, but I'm okay. Whatever the good news might be, these are good things. This is, this is good news. These are good things, nice events, even can be great news. But guess what? None of them raised to the level of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of his death and resurrection. That is of greater, because it's of eternal importance for every one of us. It's indispensable for you and for me in our life. It's transformational. It's indispensable. And praise God, it's also timeless. It's timeless. There's no limit to it. There's no, well, this is good, while you're at this stage in life or in this period of, of life or this time in the world's history, no, the content of the gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is timeless. It's as good today, it's as important today for us as it was for Paul 2,000 years ago because of its greatness. In the substance of the good news upon which everything is built, the promises of God to us aren't that great if they don't include the victory over death and all that God offers and all that Christ has done for us. If the promise, if the reality of eternal life isn't there, it's of limited value. But in the death and resurrection of Jesus, we have this promise. We have this offer of eternal life for you and for me. These promises of God are for time now and for eternity. And it's all based on the fact that Jesus did rise from the dead. For the content of the gospel, the good news is its value, its truth. The content of the gospel, this good news, isn't good because of how wonderfully it's presented. But the fact that Jesus did what? He did die, was buried, and rose again. It's not the captivating nature of the storytelling, but it's the content of its message that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried and raised to life, all according to the scripture. This utter, glorious, wonderful truth for you and for me. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And this was not something that came out of nowhere, but according to the scriptures, what God had planned from the very beginning of time. Paul upholds this real living and transforming truth, this indispensable message 
this timeless truth that the gospel is of first importance for you and me. And it's one of the reasons that we have to always be on our guard of those who want to change the message, who want to say, well, Jesus is a loving, mystical, ethereal figure. We don't have to take his physical resurrection seriously. To, we hear people speak like that, who teach that. And what that is, is to take that reality of the physical bodily resurrection off the table, which means that you and I don't have hope for a future. Our hope for a future, our resurrection, our life eternal is dependent upon Jesus' resurrection. That Jesus died, but praise God, he rose again. That Jesus is alive. This is its message, its truth. The king of the gospel. The content of the gospel is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which makes it good news. His physical resurrection, so that you and I, he says he's the first fruits, so we can share in that as well. And Paul experienced it, sees this, and is transformed by it, upholds this living and transforming truth so that we can be encouraged, built up, and live into it. Because if we don't understand what Jesus has done, if we don't understand this timeless truth of Christ, that Christ was, died for our sins, was buried, was raised on the third day, all according to the scriptures, as Paul proclaims, and that he's alive, this message of life, that we may be alive as well, if we don't hold on to that, if we lose that, if we bind in other thinking, we lose the life-changing, sin-breaking, blood-redeeming, the, the promise-returning, the way, the truth, the life, the Son of God, the Lord of the world, who gives resurrection through his death, burial, and resurrection, who justifies us by faith, and we may receive life. We rob Jesus of all that, and that experience for our life. This is the center, this is the glory, this is the majesty of the gospel. And for Paul, the power of the gospel is in its truth. Hard, tough, bloody, glorious, as we will celebrate in just a few moments. There was a young man who came to understand this, Lu Hatu. He, was, he came to understand the gospel changes us. He was in China. He's a young man of 20 years old. And he, like many others, he was in school and family and work. But he heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus, like the apostle Paul. He heard the message, and his life was transformed, and he was changed by it. He received the message as of first importance, as the apostle Paul says. I want to remind you the gospel, that which you've taken your stand, that this is of first importance, verse 3. And for Luhal too, he understood it that way, and his life was transformed. And he says, Lord, I give my life, my youth, to the work of the gospel. And so, like Paul, he started sharing the message of Jesus with others. And so effectively, that in the region that he lived, many people came to faith in Christ. And the church was really being built up. Well, within a year, he was arrested by the authorities because they heard about the effect that Luhatu was, was having. So he was arrested because of his message. He was beaten, tortured, and, and put in jail. He had a pre-existing kidney condition, which this arrest and jail imprisonment exacerbated, and it came to the point where his health started going downhill in a hurry. And the authorities seeing this released him, so as not to be blamed for his death. And when he got out, he had just a few weeks before his injuries 
caused him to lose his life. But at meeting with family and friends, here's what he said. I am very happy. I am very happy because I know Jesus. Keep the faith and follow the Lord to the end. And he passed into eternity with Christ. A life that was changed. God used Lu's life, Lu Hatu's life, to spread revival in that region of China because he understood what was of first importance. What has eternal value? He didn't say, okay, I'm going to live for just here and today. He says when he was exposed to the message of Christ, he says, I'm going to live into Jesus, and I'm going to live for that. And God used him to build eternal difference in people's life. This is what Paul says is all according to the scriptures. It was not made up in Paul's mind or a smoky church's back room. This is God's truth from the very beginning. Remember Paul in his time we saw in Acts chapter 9, in his encounter, when he was prayed for, what happened? But scales fell off his eyes, and he could see. And in that, he saw the truth of Christ, and his life was transformed. Are we those who have been transformed, changed by the indispensable, timeless truth of what God has given to us? That God says that this is his word for you and for me, of first importance, all according to the scriptures. A couple examples, Isaiah 52. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up. The prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, looking to Jesus. He'll be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Exactly what happened to Christ. Psalm, the psalmist in the Old Testament, 16.10. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. Jesus didn't see decay in the ground because God brought him back to life. Just a couple examples of what the Old Testament scriptures say according to the scriptures that Paul said. The death and resurrection of Jesus are crucial truths upon which the gospel is built. This is the message that God has for you and for me so that we can understand it's of first importance of most value in your life and mine. For what I received, I passed on to you of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and raised on the third day, all according to the scriptures. This is our hope. This is what is to be most important in your life and mine. It doesn't mean you have to be involved in ministry full time. But what it says is that we have to be people who live with Christ at the center of all we do. In our work, in our family relationships, how we use our money, how we use our time, how we view and think about things, how we express and share what's important to us. Christ needs to be at the center because we know Jesus who died and rose again. That's living out that gospel life for you and for me, showing that this gospel is of first importance. It is our hope for time and for eternity. And we need to be people who let the message of first importance transform and change our lives because it is God's timeless truth for our hope and praise God for our eternity. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we give you thanks. We thank you for this message of the gospel. Lord, for, as Paul experienced and was transformed, may we be a, a people that are transformed, continually changed by this message. Lord, thank you for its truth that you died and that you rose again and that you promised to return for us and that we can be resurrected just like Christ. Lord, we thank you for this 
hope that we live in. Help us, Lord, to be filled with your spirit. That spirit would fall afresh on us. Remind us of this truth so we can live out your gospel message, we pray, through Jesus Christ, whom we love. Amen.